Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We're going to get to the heart of how we all might inform and influence the young people in our lives who seem to have tuned out public health officials. Uh, officials definitely sounding alarms over following guidelines that might help bend back some of our country's surging curves. But First, we're going to uh, get you a seat at our Canadian kitchen table and and offer up the expertise of our good friend and scientist, Jason Kindrachuk. He is the Assistant Professor, Canada Research Chair in the Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Disease at the University of Manitoba. It is always consistently a pleasure to welcome the brilliant Jason Kindrachuk to the program. Jason, thanks for doing this as always. Jody, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of segments because, as you and I like to do, uh, whether we're on the Roy Green Show or talking on a on a regional program here on the Chorus Radio Network, uh, we like to open up the phone lines to the listeners and have them pose their questions to you, the scientist, the expert. Jason, let's start with some of the the spikes that we're seeing in major cities uh, across Canada and and provinces, for that matter, particularly uh, the numbers coming out of Quebec and Ontario today. Yeah, it's it's concerning, isn't it? And I think the you know the big thing that we have to look at right now is that th- this has been a pretty stable trend the last while. We're, we're not seeing something where it you know it's a few kind of uh, anomalous days that uh, that we're seeing spikes. It's it's consistent, and and I think you know for us right now the big concern is where are the cases going? So mm. you know we, we've seen the you know the obviously the younger age groups uh, you know kind of you know predominantly. Um, you know, kind of making up most of the cases, but we're starting to see now that it's moving into the older populations, and and there has been some indications that hospitalizations are starting to increase as well. So, you know, I, I think we're we're watching kind of this slow moving, you know, uh, train coming in, and and you know, starting to kind of set a lot of devastation up, and uh, we we have to get, you know, the implementation of of different mandates to to get people, uh, you know, distancing and using masks. But also as individuals, we we got to start making those those choices again to to not do the things that uh, that we were doing even you know the last month or the last couple of months uh, when when cases have plateaued. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing. I, I'm sitting in British Columbia, uh, yeah. and so our situation here is one that is rather in flux. We go from you know 81 cases on one day to 161 cases the next day. We're certainly testing uh, more than ever before in this province, but trying to ride that roller coaster of test case positives and understanding, you know, what's what's at the root of it, and it, is it that we are relaxing? And, and seeing these flare-ups of the virus, because, I mean, Jason, you've said it since the very beginning, since our first conversations, we like to look south of the border and say, oh my God, what a mess it is down there. We are not immune to that mess here. And it no. is that incubation period, that delay, that we also need to be aware of here. Well, we, yeah, and we, we have to, again, kind of get into this mindset of trying to be proactive rather than reactive. Mm. Um, you know, in particular, you know, looking at, uh, you know, some of the you know, kind of more steady increases like we've been seeing in Manitoba and kind of understanding that, 
Yeah, this is this is actually a concern. It, it's not uh, an extraordinary amount of cases that we're seeing. Um, the healthcare system is handling it so far, but we, like you said, we know it's a, a lagging indicator. We know that these cases represent two weeks ago. Um, yeah. but we, we can make the choices now to to try and reduce transmission. And again, we, we mandates are great. It's nice to see the you know the provinces step up and say this is what we need to do. Um, but we can make those choices without the mandates as well, um, and, and guide kind of our own actions and, and you know those of the the people around us by making good choices. Right. It's the buy-in rather than the, yeah. the necessity of a lockdown scenario or a revert to a prior phase. We all just need to keep in our own minds the best practices we can do for our, our fellow members of society, frankly, washing our hands, keeping our germs to ourselves, staying home when we're sick. You know, physical distancing is huge. But now, I mean, it's it's almost become second nature to don a mask. And people who push back about mask use, you just got to get with the program. Like, it, it's, it's proof positive that it works. And you wear a mask almost all day, every day when you're in the lab, are you not? Yeah, yeah. No, we're, I mean, we're wearing them all the time. And, and even when, obviously, we're out in public, uh, you know, it, it is... It is second nature now for for us to always have a mask, and and yeah. I think that that's where we need to be, you know, kind of thinking, and and obviously again have the mindset of you know we're we're protecting, we're trying to protect ourselves, but it's most important with masks. We we need to protect other people around us, and and that's I just I look at the you know obviously the, the number of fatalities as they increase, and and as we see new outbreaks um, arising, and, and think you know I, I don't want to be personally responsible for any of those. Uh, and nor do I think most other people want to be personally responsible. So just put put the mask on. Yeah, put the mask on. 1-800-263-2428. If you have questions for our scientist, uh, Jason Kindrachuk here, 1-800-263-2428. I have a mask question because I had a friend of mine actually pose this to me. I think I know the answer, but um, can you breathe in your own germs and infect yourself by wearing a mask? Well, this is a great question, right? So if if you have, say, a, a mask that you've taken off and you go to reuse it and, and that mask, you know, you, you've touched your hands onto something onto a surface and, you know, you wipe the inside of the mask or the outside, you, you potentially can pull those in. Now, if you're just recirculating your own air, um, you know, that infection is not going to spread uh, any further than, than where it's already at, right? Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. it's the idea of, of understanding that, you know, once you take the mask off, now, you know, basically the clock starts ticking as far as what are you doing? What are your actions? How are you handling it? And, and trying not to pick up uh, something from the environment uh, beyond COVID that, that you could ultimately get infected by. Right. So along those lines, if somebody's using the disposable blue sort of masks, the, the, the ones that you single use, you take it off, you throw it away, dispose of, dispose of it responsibly, by the way. Um, yeah. But what about the cloth masks? We are purchasing them. We have friends who are making them. We're using them. They're keeping our droplets to ourselves. That's great. We take them off. How do we properly clean those masks after a single use? Yeah, it's it's a great question, right? And and again, all of it comes back to the fact that the probably the, one of the greatest medical inventions we, we've ever seen has been soap. Um, you know, most pretty much every virus and and uh, you know the vast majority of bacteria uh, are are completely completely uh, susceptible to to soap, whether it's detergent or, or hand soap. Um, so you know, the best thing that we can do is simply is wash them in detergent on hot water. We know that it's going to to destroy whatever is on there, and, and that's something that unequivocally has been uh, has been proven time and time again. 
So a little boiling water and soap gets you a long way. Kevin in Calgary with a question joining us on the Roy Green Show. Hi, Kevin. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, My question is, have you both heard of SAGE, which is in control of the UK's response to coronavirus? I have not heard of that at all. Okay. Uh, So back in February, Lord Sumption uh, has quoted them back in February saying that the masks and the social distancing will help with the overwhelming of hospitals. But the overall infection rate and the overall death, it won't do anything for. That was back in February. So it's, I mean, I, I don't want to you know, be completely negative, but when we think about masks and we think about this idea of where transmission is and when transmission occurs, we, we know that masks uh, you know, can actually help. I mean, we've certainly with, with influenza, um, that has been shown through, uh, through the scientific literature in the past. Uh, we're getting there with COVID. We actually, there was a, um, an investigation that looked at, I believe it was hamsters, and they actually put, uh, basically, uh, just a, a single use mask in between the, the cages of the hamsters. And they looked to see whether infected hamsters could transmit to, uh, naive or non-infected hamsters in, in the cage next to them. And what they're able to show is that just having that mask material up helped reduce the amount of infection uh, that they saw and ultimately the severity of disease and any lethality from, uh, from the virus as well. So uh, I, I would certainly debate that, uh, that viewpoint. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that, but the one thing that I think you're failing to mention is that those are sterile environments. When you speak of studies, they're sterile environments. Now, when I go to the grocery store and I see people come out of the grocery store, what's the first thing they do with their mask? They take it off of their face with their hand and put it into their pocket. Right. I don't. Not the guy, well, it's not the guidance <laughs> we should be doing, right? And that, right. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, my mask comes off in the car using my hands for the ear straps, but goes into a sterile receptacle. You know, yeah, we doff and, it and properly. It's it's important. That's an important piece of this. I think, Jason, as I was saying earlier with the disposable math, mask, and thank you, Kevin, uh, for your input here, because clearly this is a, an important piece, is how we wear them, how we how we handle a mask before putting them on, and then how we, how we don and doff. I mean, learning those terms, we really need to be um, very particular in how we how we wash our hands prior to, how we how we don the mask, and then how we doff it, and how we dispose of it, because that mask could very well, as Kevin was saying, could very well be uh, toxic to someone else. It could spread this virus. It the likelihood of it actually being surface to surface, I understand from you, Jason, is fairly minor. But our yeah. droplets are what we're trying to keep to ourselves, right? Absolutely. And listen, I've, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who works in, in BSL-3 and BSL-4, and, and part of what we do is, is you know, with standard is, is trying to ensure all the time that we're reducing the potential for ourselves and somebody else to get infected, especially when we're taking off uh, all of our, our personal protective equipment. And that's, yeah. for me, it's, it's second nature now with my mask. And, and I think we, we need to go back to really you know, looking at infection prevention control uh, experts and, and guiding how we do all this. We can't just simply take it off because now it's become an inconvenience and kind right. of throw it in our pocket and hope for the best. Roger joins us from Edmonton. Welcome to the show, Roger. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. I just had a question uh, with the mask. I mean, if you look at the science and the data from 2019 all the way to the beginning of medical history, masks on people that aren't sick 
does not make sense. And now all of a sudden, you guys seem to think it makes sense. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, so what what I'll say in regards to that is that, uh, I mean, we we need to look no further than going into a hospital uh, in regards to to nurses and, and physicians. Uh, when they're dealing with patients that, that are potentially immunocompromised or, or that they want to keep from getting infected, that we know that masks uh, are, are not meant to protect us necessarily from becoming infected, but they certainly are uh, medical marvels in be, being able to restrict our ability to infect yeah. others. They're not, they're not impervious, uh, and they're not 100%, and, and I don't think anybody would, would ever regard them that way. Um, but, I, but they certainly do, they certainly do help. I, can I, can I uh, quickly, that? quickly, Roger. Yeah, we've got like a jam phone I, board I just, here. So, if... I just, yeah, I just also wanted to say this is all based on the PCR test that the guy who invented it said it should never be used in this kind of a case, and this is the thing that they're using for this whole pandemic as well. They're amplifying the test upwards of forty-five thousand times to get people over the line, so they test positive. Okay, I got to stop you there, Roger. You're going on a tangent here, buddy. You're going on a big tangent. Sorry, Roger. Roger talking about we, it we are talking about it and i will no, send you back not. to your you're radio fine. here as you're we will talk to jason kinderchuk exactly about pcr tests and the reliability of a pcr test what is the difference between a an abbott id now test uh and a pcr a pcr test versus um a binax now antigen test what what's the difference yeah, it depends on what you're looking for, right? So the antigen tests are actually looking for a protein uh, or on the virus or on the microbe, um, which is tends to be less sensitive than looking for the nucleic acid. So what we know with PCR is you can take a piece of nucleic acid and you can very specifically uh, amplify that millions of times. We, we do that with cloning all the time. We've done that, you know, somebody who's in West Africa during Ebola we use the PCR diagnostic test to uh, identify Ebola patients. Um, they are amazingly accurate. Um, with the, the antigen tests, we're getting to the point that they're becoming more accurate. You're not able to create more copies of that to increase your signal of, of that specific protein, but we're getting better at, at figuring out how to, uh, to, to, to better detect um, if, that, uh, if that protein is there. So they tend to be a little bit more rapid in, in terms of turnaround, and they tend to be a lot cheaper as well, um, a, lot yes. more, a lot less reliant on, uh, on different materials. Um, but but mm-hmm. the PCR test is, it has been a gold standard for, for years, uh, not, not only with COVID, but far beyond COVID. Uh, and it is, without a doubt, the, the test that, that we go to. We can look for infectious virus, um, and, and in many cases, we do that. Um, the problem is that that takes about four or five extra days to do that on a clinical sample when you don't necessarily have four to five days to identify if somebody's positive before you put them into isolation and, and try and distinguish them. So we, we are doing all these things in concert. Stephen in Calgary, we're going to squeeze you in with a quick one. What's your question for Jason Kindrachuk? My question is, I'm a senior. I help out other seniors. Uh, and I asked my doctor... Should I keep doing that even though I'm afraid I might catch the virus and give it to 80 and 88-year-olds? My question to him, I take all precautions, but I do travel on buses and make contact with many other people. Okay, Stephen, thank you for that. Uh, Jason, what do you say? It's a tough one to answer that. It's, uh, it, there's so it many is. risks I, involved, I, right? I, I had a grandfather that you know, passed recently that, uh, you know, not, not mm-hmm. of COVID, um, but, you know, was 93 and was still active in the community up until 
the, the day that he passed. And, and we were trying to figure out how best to, to guide him. Um, a lot of it is about what, what is the community transmission? What, what are the risks that are being taken and, and how protected is that person? Public transport, unfortunately, is, is not an ideal situation. We know that being in an enclosed right. space for an extended period of time is not good. But again, I will always defer to uh, I help uh, a public health practitioner and their guidance. Um, I'm, I'm a virologist, not an MD. Um, right. So, you know, th- those are questions to, to ask your primary care physician. Your doctor knows best. Jason, up against the clock here. Thank you, as always, for your perspective and your openness to taking our calls uh, from our listener. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jody. Take care. That's Jason Kindrachuk, Assistant Prof, a Canada Research Chair, Department of Medical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, University of Manitoba. Great follow on Twitter. We'll continue here on the Roy Green Show, coast to coast on the Chorus Radio Network. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.